0: Welcome to the Soulful CXO, where we discuss leadership principles, core values, health, wellness, and resiliency. I'm Dr. Rebecca Wynn, the founder and the host of the show. Do you have a topic or guest you would like to be featured on the show? Would you like to be a sponsor? Please reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at Rebecca at soulfulcxo.com. Please go to our partner, Cybersecurity Tribe, for weekly show recaps and other resources. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. I'll sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Soful CXO. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca King. We are honored and pleased to have with us today, Dr. Anne Krivokoen. She's recognized as one of the world's privacy experts. Served an unprecedented three terms as the Information and Privacy Commissioner of Ontario, Canada. Is creator of the Privacy by Design framework, which has been translated into forty languages. Privacy and Design has been included in the EU General Data Protection Regulation and other countries and states privacy laws and regulations. She's Executive Director of Global Privacy and Security by Design Center, author of two books, has been in too many publications for me to even count. <laughs> the highly sought after speaker and advisor has been awarded numerous awards in cybersecurity, Privacy, data, security, technology, AI, leadership, and lifetime achievement. And my friend, mentor, the queen of privacy and global awesomeness, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Rebecca. You're far too kind.
0: <laughs> As we talk on the show, we talk about privacy by design. That's what you're well known for in creating that framework. But not all of you in our audience might be really familiar with what that is, and what's the principles. So, can you briefly tell us what that is and why do you think about creating it? It was so interesting. I was um, appointed Privacy Commissioner in
1: 1997. And when I first started, what was really interesting was, you see, I'm not a lawyer, I'm a psychologist. I studied psychology and law, but my background is very different. And so when I first started, I noticed that the approach the office took to privacy issues was always after the fact, after the data breach, after the privacy infraction, You apply the law, regulatory compliance, and that's very important. But I wanted something proactive that could prevent the privacy harms from arising. I wanted a model of prevention, much like a medical model of prevention. So I created Privacy by Design literally at my kitchen table over three nights and then took it in the office and sold it, so to speak, to all my lawyers. And eventually they got on side because I was saying it's not one versus the other. It's both proactive measures to try to prevent the harms from arising, you know, privacy measures we could bake into our operations, bake it into the code, into the design of your operations, that complements regulatory compliance, which comes afterwards, because there will invariably continue to be data breaches and privacy infractions. So this took off, and in 2010, Privacy by Design was unanimously passed by an, as an international standard by the International Assembly of Privacy Commissioners and Data Protection Authorities. So then it really took off. It's been followed all around the world, translated into 40 languages. Actually, it's 41. It was just translated into in Mexico last week. So it continues to grow. And it's all about win-win. You do privacy and security, privacy and data utility, not one versus the other.
0: Well, that's awesome. And I do like that positive Psalm attitude because that resonates throughout leadership. You know, today we talk a lot about healthcare, especially after COVID 2020, when we talk about data and, and and keeping data in perspective and how we use that. I know you have great thoughts upon that and you, you also had a lifetime thought about that and how you could do that in leadership. Can you explain to everybody a little bit about how your viewpoint has come from not only a personal perspective and what happened with you and healthcare, but then how it translates today and how we're doing passports and vaccines and things along those lines?
1: You know, what permeates through all of this is my rejection of zero-sum models. Zero-sum means you can have one interest versus another, win lose. Public safety versus privacy in the case of of COVID, and that's what I object to so strongly. I oppose vaccine passports because this is requiring individuals to reveal very personal information. Health information is the the strongest need for privacy is associated with health information. And that's only to be shared between you and your doctor and whoever you wish to share it to, as opposed to needing to display it publicly for the world to see. Vaccine passports, you know, are growing all around the world. And some say that this will be the strongest form of surveillance that we've ever seen, because wherever you give an indication, you show your vaccine passport, it's associated with your name, with a personal identifier that identifies you, like your driver's license or a health card or something, which is linked to you. And this is linked to the geolocation where you reveal this information. So with increasing collection of this kind of data all around the world, you're going to have Tracking surveillance like we've never seen before. That's what's appalling to me. And individuals will have no control over this information. And privacy is all about control. It's about personal control relating to the use and disclosure of your personal information. Look, if you want to get a vaccine and you want to tell the world, be my guest. That's your prerogative. But you have to allow individuals especially individuals who cannot get vaccines because of allergic reactions they have that do not allow them to get their vaccines, immunology problems associated with getting vaccines that they can't do it. So they may not want to share that information with the world. It has to be their prerogative. You can't demand it. That's what I object to. And it's the old zero-sum model coming back. Wow, we have to take care of public safety so forget about privacy. No, you don't forget about privacy. You find a way to build it in and have both, it's called positive sum as opposed to zero sum, multiple positive gains, not one interest versus another. And that's what I want to grow in terms of privacy by design applying to this area. So many people have been in contact with me saying, oh my God, we don't want to do this vaccine passport thing, but they're making us do it. And there have been protests All around the world, here in Toronto, Canada, people working at hospitals all throughout the city protested three days ago as saying, we object to being forced to reveal our vaccine status or lack thereof to the world. And these kinds of protests have been taking place all over the place. In Paris last week, in Brazil, all over the world, you're seeing protests like this. People wanna preserve their privacy and have public health You can have both. And that's the messaging I'm trying to get across, that we have to get rid of the either-or win-lose model, because that will ultimately lead to everyone losing out. We can do both. Let's propose one interest and another, multi-privacy, multi-parties. We can do this.
0: When you have people who go into the emergency room and they see doctors, How are we going to get the information to the doctors? Because a lot of times people don't even want to give doctors any information and then they can't get the proper health care. So what do we do in emergency situations like the pandemic we just had where information has to get to doctors very, very quickly? And and sometimes it might even have to show on a board to make sure that you, you get things quickly. How do we keep that in context? Of
1: course. in emergency rooms, a healthcare contacts, hospitals, of course, they need medical data. They need data about you to give you the proper treatment and care that you require. That's why you're presenting yourself at the hospital or ICU or whatever. So we have very strong health information privacy laws. Here in Ontario, we have PHIPAA, the Privacy Health Information Privacy Protection Act, personal health information. And it's very strong. And it basically says, look, You have to give information when you're getting treatment and care. That's the whole point of you presenting yourself. So the fact that you're presenting yourself is consenting to the use of your data, but for your treatment and care, not for disclosure to the rest of the world. It has to be in the context of taking care of you, giving you much needed treatment, and it will be used in that context and only in that context. Then it will be protected very, very strongly. provides the strongest privacy protection. And in the United States, of course, you have HIPAA. So we have very strong measures to protect health data, which are much needed, but that doesn't mean you have to give up your privacy in order to present
0: information for your treatment and care. Spinning on the topic that you talked about, surveillance, you've worked quite a bit with smart cities and we hear that quite a bit too, on people being able to identify, not identify people, keep out the bad guys, you worked on a great project with that, partnering with some really top companies. Can you go ahead and explain that project to us and what that was about? That was the Sci Labs project. Of course. It was
1: so interesting. It started out beautifully. Sidewalk Labs approached me. They wanted to retain me to embed privacy by design into the smart city they had been contracted to develop here in Toronto, Canada. And I live in Toronto, so I wanted A wonderful smart city that preserved privacy. So I was delighted that Sidewalk Labs retained me to embed privacy by design into this operation. And once I started looking into it, in a smart city, the technology is on 24/7. The sensors, the cameras, everything is collecting data all the time, nonstop. Which is why I said to Sidewalk Labs, look, you want to do privacy by design. We're going to have to de-identify data at source, meaning the minute the data is collected by the sensor or whatever technology, you sever it of all personal identifiers. You remove all personal information associated with the data. So then you can use the data for much needed purposes, and it'll be very invaluable for, you know, formulating how the smart city is going to operate, etc. But it will be removed. Personal information will be removed from it. So the privacy risk will have been removed right at the beginning. Sidewalk Labs loved this. They said, that's great. We like that very much because then we can tell people, look, there's no privacy risk associated with what we're doing, with all the massive amount of technology we're putting into the smart city. Win, win. And that went along fine until Sidewalk Labs got criticized by Jim Balsilli because, you know, I think he wanted a part of the operation. He didn't have it. So he was criticizing Sidewalk Labs, not so much for the privacy things, but just for everything. So, I remember the board meeting I attended with Signwalk Labs and their partners. And what they said was look, and this was what really concerned me. They said to the IT companies in the board meeting who were part of the smart city operation, they said, look, we encourage you to de identify data at source. But if you can't do it or if you don't want to do it, we can't make you do it. It's not the law. And I knew. I had to resign then because, you see, they didn't come to me and seek my views on that because they knew what I would say. I would say, don't do it. And I would also have said, give me one week. Let me go to Waterfront Toronto, who is the group that had hired Sidewalk Labs to build the smart city. Let me go to them and say, you make a stipulation. Any IT company who wants to work with us on this smart city operation, they must de-identify data at source. And they would have done that. But they didn't, Sidewalk Labs didn't want to take that risk, I guess. And so they just presented it like this. So the next morning after the board meeting, I resigned publicly. And I remember Don Doctoroff from New York City contacting me saying, what, what's going on? This must be a mistake or whatever. He didn't know what, what I was doing or why I was doing it. And I said to them all, look, you knew this is the position I would take. I can't live with, you know, do whatever you want with the data and don't strip the personal identifiers. And simply, I cannot do that. The good news was after I resigned, first of all, you would not believe how many media interview requests I had from all over the world because no one could believe I was resigning from such a fruitful position. They didn't believe I was doing it. So I had all these interviews, but the best part was Waterfront Toronto, which was the organization that retained Sidewalk Labs, They approached me directly and they said, come work with us. We believe in what you're saying. We want everything de-identified at source. Come work with us. So you see, this is the thing with smart cities. You can do privacy embedded into the design of the operations of the smart city. So you can have privacy and all the smart city functionality that is being developed to make the city operate more efficiently, et cetera. You can do both. It's not the dated... Zero sum, either or win lose model. Get rid of that and do both. And now I'm working on some other operations relating to smart cities. I'm on the International Council of Smart Cities. So this is the messaging we're advancing. And Sidewalk Labs and that whole smart city operation has died, gone
0: away. I love that story because one of the other great leadership truths it says is we have to live your truth and don't allow yourself to be compromised. And because you stuck up for that, We saw all the great things that come from that. I mean, worldwide now, you even have a bigger viewpoint on that. I know you talk about it daily about smart cities, de-identification, and give you a bigger platform on those lines. And other cities around the world who are doing smart cities have sought out your counsel on how to do that. Great point for all our readers to go ahead and learn that. Do the right thing always. Privacy by design, don't compromise on it. One of the other great things that I know you talk about, because we hear about this quite a lot, on developers and how developers get beaten up all the time that they're not embedding security and privacy by design and by default. Do you think that's a fair criticism that developers are just being lazy and not trying to do the job?
1: Developers have to get connected with this. They can't say, well, it's not what we do. You have to do it. If you don't have the talent or the expertise to do it, retain somebody. I've worked with so many companies who, at the beginning, say, this is too complicated. We don't know how to do it. And I say to them, it's not that complicated. If you're collecting personal information from customers, from citizens, from whoever, get their consent. You need to get their positive consent at the time you are doing the data collection. That way you win, they win. They know how you're going to use their information. They've consented to it, which frees you to use it in the ways intended. Then Again, it becomes a win-win and it builds trust like no other. There's such a trust deficit right now. And if you want to build trusted business relationships, you have to get into this consensual model involving your clients, your customers, etc. And once you do that, you're golden because they will trust you. You will retain their business. It will attract new opportunity. It's a true win-win. We can do this, but we have to get companies on side to realize that it's not that big a deal. And then when I say to them, the other thing you should do is develop a data map. And they look at me and they say, huh? And by that, I mean, often companies will have consent for the initial primary purpose of the data collection. Right up front, they get consent. Company's happy, fine. But then that come that information is retained within the company. And often it flows to a multiple number of different departments who may be exceeding what has been consented to in terms of data collection. So what I urge companies to do is develop a data map, flow, watch, create a flow of the data throughout your organization. What other departments it may go to, what additional uses it may be exposed to. And if there are additional secondary uses, then flag them and go back to your customers and say, oh, we have the secondary use that we would like to use your data for. We think it will benefit you in this manner. Could we please have your consent for this uh, additional use? Customers love that because you're going back to them for consent. They always say yes. That's what I'm told by companies because they now trust you that you're going to go and approach them if new uses arises. So again, it grows the win-win model with the data map. And it also protects you as a company because you're retaining the positive relationship you've developed with the customers. And in fact, you're growing that. So there are so many ways to do this in a win-win manner.
0: Is privacy by design more of a legislation issue? Is it technology issue? Is it a people issue? What do we do to to make it a better future? It's great if it is
1: embedded in technology, in the law, there's no question. And laws all around the world are actually... being upgraded as a result of the general data protection regulation that came into effect in the European Union in 2018. That includes, as you know, my privacy by design and privacy as the default, one of the essentials of privacy by design. And when they included that in the law, countries all around the world wanted to upgrade their existing laws because they may have had what's called essential equivalence with the previous law in the EU, Which they want to maintain and preserve because there's so much business that they can engage in with the EU. So, when the law was strengthened in this manner in the GDPR, including privacy by design, then countries all around the world started including privacy by design into their operations. I just heard from Brazil a few months ago, they have a new uh, privacy law which includes privacy by design, and they want to get my views on it and things of that nature. So, we continue to upgrade existing laws with privacy by design but don't just leave it to the law embed it in technology i always say to people it's great to have the law but you know some of my colleagues former commissioners have said laws only reach the tip of the iceberg the majority of the privacy harms remain largely unchallenged unknown unregulated because they're being done through social media all kinds of online connectivity we don't get to it so if you embed privacy directly into te- technology bake it into the code, make it an essential component of your operations, then you don't have to worry about it. You can't forget to do it. It's always present. It has a very pervasive effect that you don't have to oversee all the time because it's always there, baked in, always in effect. And that's why I say, don't rely just on laws and regulatory compliance, bake it into the code, into the technology, into the design of your operations, into your policies, and you will get
0: a much better win-win outcome. And we thank you for for sharing your leadership insights, sticking to your core values, and your passion for the industry. How can people get a hold of more information about even their companies becoming privacy by design, you know, certified? How can they get a hold of you to speak and and to, as you said, to be an advisor? How do people get a hold of you and get hold of those information?
1: So, if they want to email me, and you can review my email at the end of this then with their consent, if they want to get certified, I will refer them to KPMG, who is the certifying body, and they'll go in and do the much needed uh, testing, etc. And then they send me a report and I will certify. But the other thing is, I know this is going to sound strange. I do Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter. Every morning from five to six, I circulate the latest tweets of the day that are important to privacy and privacy by design, data protection, my husband is a saint. He puts up with me doing this, but I want to share all the news, especially coming from Europe and abroad. There's so much going on. So you can follow me on Twitter and I'm happy to do, to respond. But the last thing I, the message I want to leave with people is don't give up on privacy. I know so many people say, oh my God, there's just too much going on. Too much surveillance is taking place. You know, just give up on it. I remember somebody tweeted me and said, "Lady, that ship has sailed. And I tweeted back and I said, "Then get another friggin ship. You don't give up on privacy. Privacy forms the foundation of our freedom. We must have free freedom, free and open societies. Please, we have to. We can't morph into China with social credit scores abounding. My God, we need our freedom. In order to do that, we must preserve privacy. And we can do this. That's what I want people to know. Yes, it's difficult yes, it may be two steps forward, three steps back. It's like a chess game. So we just stay in the game. And every time surveillance mounts, we have a response and we proceed. Additional uh, measures get introduced. So I just want to give people hope that this is not something you give up on. I always like to give the the, the story of, of Steve Jobs, the brilliant creator of Apple. He used to buy a new Mercedes, a white Mercedes, every six months, less a day. And then Six months less a day, you would take the Mercedes into the dealership and buy another one. And this kept going on until he died. And you went, well, why did he do that? Because in California at that time, you had up to six months to get a license plate number on your new car. And he didn't want a license plate. He didn't want to be tracked, surveilled. He didn't want any numbers associated with him. <laughs> See, brilliant minds, they want the freedom to think crazy blue uh, sky ideas, wild thinking. You can't do that if someone is looking over your shoulder and you're worried and you're concerned. You need freedom. Privacy breeds creativity and innovation. You need to feel free to have crazy ideas and then put them into effect. So on so many levels, privacy is essential to freedom, creativity and innovation. We have to preserve this at all costs.
0: And it was a pleasure having you on the show. You are a soulful CXO. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Rebecca.